Welcome back to the Doctors Who Create podcast. My name is Vidya Viswanathan, and I am the founder of Doctors Who Create and a pediatric resident physician in Philadelphia. Today, I had the privilege of interviewing Dr. Diana Montoya-Williams and Dr. Joanna Parga-Balinki, who are two neonatologists in Philadelphia who also run a podcast. Their podcast is called Baby Doctor Mamas, and it's a podcast for new parents by these two physician mothers who specialize in newborn medicine. And I wanted to interview them because it's really amazing to see two experts in a field practicing medicine also focus on how to disseminate that information creatively to their patients and to the community as a whole. I love that they draw on a combination of medical expertise and real-life working mom insights, and they really hope to support families by discussing topics that are relevant to anyone preparing to care for a newborn baby. I suggest checking out the podcast on any platform that you get your podcasts and being ready to learn some interesting facts about what it's like to start a podcast off the ground and what it's like to balance a career in medicine with a creative pursuit like this. Vidya, thank you so much for having us on. Our origin story starts um, actually at Harvard University. So Diana and I were both undergraduates there. And we've really kind of been inseparable ever since. I mean, we lived together all through college and then we both went to medical school in New York City. And then we sort of went our separate ways geographically at least, like I did my residency and my fellowship for neonatology at the University of Florida down in Gainesville, Florida, whereas Joanna traveled to the other warm part of the country and went out west. I just feel like our lives have been mirrored in so many ways. And so then it was um, like a, such a happy surprise, but potentially not that surprising when after having done all of our kind of subspecialty training in separate parts of the country, LA and, and Florida, Joanna got a job at um, Children's Hospital Philadelphia. And then one year later, I got a job at CHOP as well. And it was like fate, right? Like, of course, of course, we would end up together with offices several doors down from each other, um, because that's just how our life plays out. And I have this vivid memory calling you at 5 a.m. to tell you that my husband had matched at CHOP for his fellowship, so we were moving to Philly. Do you remember that phone call? Oh, yeah. 100%. I was in the bathroom, which <laughs> we can maybe I shouldn't have answered the phone. Who knows? Diana calls, though. You answer the phone. And um, I, I was newly pregnant, so I like just found out I was pregnant, and I was very emotional. And Diana tells me that she's going to fill it. And I start crying. I'm crying. I'm like crying. <laughs> it's five in the morning. I'm in the bathroom. I'm like sobbing. And my husband's like, are you OK? Like, is everything OK? Like, what's going on? He like gets up out of bed. He like never gets up. Out of- and I'm like, Diana's moving to Philadelphia. And like, I'm like crying. And he's like, isn't that a good thing? And I'm like, it's just like it makes everything It's like everything's falling into place. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, fast fast forward to like the summer of 2018. We move here. We're moving in. And Joanna comes over to see us because, you know, at that point we are now we're living like two blocks away from each other. Literally, that's not an exaggeration. And she's like, listen, I have this idea. 
you know how we constantly talk about like at this point now Joanna's a mom I have a one-year-old she has an infant and we've been talking about all the mom issues that have come up in our lives and the struggles and the the joys and the triumphs and the things that make us cry both good and bad and how we're going through these things and she's like what if we talk about those things but with like a microphone and record it and turn it into a podcast <laughs> like I also have a vivid memory of being in my apartment that is not fully furnished still trying to figure out life and she's like let's create a podcast and when Joanna asks you to create something you say yes <laughs> <laughs> well I was it was just we are both we like to be creative. I mean, I think Diana has a little bit more of an outlet for it because she does her research too, which can be very creative. And I think Diana's is particularly something that she's creating and, and shepherding herself, um, which I really admire her for. Um, but I needed an outlet too. And it's hard when you're both busy working full-time moms, even when you're best friends, to find time to come together and be able to talk and vent and um share your lives and the podcast just it became for us or at least for me Diana and you can speak on this too a time at night when we'd put the kids to bed and she would come over and honestly for like a half hour before we even record or more <laughs> um we talk about the day and yeah the day and what and our struggles and and catch up and and then start to dive into the topic and realize how much the topic affects us in our personal lives, but also in our professional and how things change so much becoming moms. And so, I mean, the podcast for me is not only to share information, which I love to do and to educate and to teach, but it's also a time for me to be with Diana and and carve time out of our days and our busy schedules to be together and be talking. And so it's just such a precious thing um from that angle for me too and I and I wouldn't do it without Diana because I didn't want to do something where I was just talking into you know a microphone and whoever I, I it, like it again very true to our personalities I think we both enjoy it because it's a way for us to share and to come together and to feel like we're creating but also connecting add to that is I 100% agree with everything Joanna said. Like, I look forward to the act of recording because it's therapeutic for me. But part of what we hoped to accomplish with the podcast was helping other women feel this way, is to, to help them feel that maybe if they had something to listen to, hopefully to friendly-sounding voices who can empathize with what they're going through, that they might feel less alone because motherhood can be so isolating and parenthood in general can be so isolating and there's so much that makes you question everything about your life so we wanted to create you know the safe space that Joanna and I feel for each other to discuss our lives and support each other we wanted to create that same space for new parents I was gonna say I feel like one of the unique things about your podcast um, with in terms of its presenting you know evidence-based medicine as well as personal experience but I think the banter you both have and the like clear friendship you both have is one of the unique things it's fun to listen to in and of itself because you're both clearly friends and like know each other really well and then you additionally get all the information from listening to it um and I was wondering when you had that idea to start the podcast were there other podcasts you were listening to that had inspired you um and like 
how did you go about educating yourselves on like how to start a podcast? Yeah, I mean, I think we've learned a lot on the way. Um, you know, in in truth, uh, I'd been listening to some podcasts about pediatrics, and most of them were either, you know, people who were savvy with entertainment and microphones, and so weren't professional, like weren't healthcare workers or professionals in healthcare, but were just parents who were telling their stories. And I always found that that was kind of interesting. There's The Longest Shortest Time, which actually just ended as a podcast, which is a mom talking about her experiences. And I I liked that podcast. Um, But I did see that there was kind of a hole where there weren't kind of healthcare professionals who were trying to do a format that was less, um, trying to do a format that was less formal, you know? Yeah, it seemed like there was like the whole group of, there was this whole group of podcasts that were sort of continuing medical education. So like for like healthcare providers for other healthcare providers, pediatricians for other pediatricians. And then there was these podcasts that were like parents for parents. And so what we felt maybe was the gap that we could fill was pediatricians who were parents for other parents who may or may not be pediatricians. And so that's really how we were informed by other podcasts. I had sort of started getting into podcast listening myself, but I wasn't into the scene at all of parenting podcasts. I listened to things like This American Life. I was really into Serial, all, all the kind of, you know, mainstream podcasts, but I en- enjoyed it and had found it to be a really cool medium for like, that was easily integrated into my busy lifestyle. Like I could listen to things and multitask. So I appreciated that sort of uh, platform um, because of its versatility. And we also wanted to be really thoughtful about our messaging as as doctors. And so what was nice about podcasting was we could sit back and listen after we recorded to make sure that the information we were presenting was information that was evidence-based. Because um, I've listened to other podcasts and, you know, people will sometimes just be telling things of their own experiences that aren't grounded in facts. And so, yeah, I think we've been learning throughout the course of doing it how to balance that and how to make sure that we are always trying to ground what we do in research and things that are in the scientific literature. And again, we I just hadn't heard something like that before. And so, as Diana said, we were trying to find our niche and sort of fill a gap in the podcasting world. But to, but to get to the nitty gritty of your question, I will tell you that there was a lot of self-learning. I was really impressed. I mean, this was, this was and always has been fueled by Joanna's passion and energy. But um, in the beginning, I know she was doing a lot of self-teaching about the nuts and bolts of creating a podcast, like recording programs on the computer and how you upload audio and how you get your podcast on different platforms. She did a lot of self-learning and self-teaching and basically just just rolled with it. She just pushed it forward herself. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a doer. No, I have a really good friend. I want to mention some names. Allison Byrne, who is in New Jersey, who is a podcast producer who gave me a lot of resources. And she, the biggest podcast she's worked on is Mobituaries, um, which is aimed at sort of an older demographic and tells stories um, about people like Sammy Davis Jr. and Laura Branigan, um, who did that song Gloria. That's like one of my favorite podcasts on that that series. But um, 
<laughs> Gloria, I think I got your number, Gloria. She never really did anything else. Um, got to listen to the Mobituaries podcast. So I had help from friends. And then Dr. Juanita Lewis, who's also a neonatologist, does a lot of the behind the scenes web um, content. We sort of built a small network. We also have an audio producer who's changed. It used to be someone named Jasmine. And now it's Katie, um, who's linked on our website. And you know, so we, I give those ladies a lot of credit too. And we tried to build like sort of an all woman team um, to do it, uh, which I'm pretty proud of. We've only used social media really to promote it. We promoted at one AAP conference that Diana went to and handed out flyers for, but otherwise um, we've noticed a slow growth using social media platforms, um, which has been also sort of a learning experience on how to post on that. And I do that myself, and I don't know that I'm the best at it um, because it is, I think, an art in and of itself to be sort of someone who's an educator on social media. But now I follow a lot of doctors on social media, which is a really interesting and creative platform, I think, to spread public health messages. For doctors who create, I you know have access to the social media accounts and sometimes post, but our social media managers usually post, but I find that to actually be the hardest part. It's like once you create the content, figuring out how do you share it and how do you get it to reach the audience is tough. Um, but I have enjoyed the baby pictures on <laughs> the baby doctor mama's social media. <laughs> and I was curious um, in terms of sharing personal stories on the podcast and then like, um, sharing pictures on social media. Uh, how did you approach that aspect of um, kind of sharing parts of your personal lives through this work? <laughs> this is a good question because we actually approach it differently. Um, and we have even recorded an entire episode about it. It's a good question. So I think, you know, this gets back to the fact that Joanna and I are both extroverts and we're both pretty chatty people who just like to connect with strangers in some way. And so I've always um, had this kind of desire to connect with my social media circles in that way about my own thoughts and beliefs. It's been a little bit different in terms of bringing my family into this. And so that's really where Joanna and I start to like deviate and veer off to our separate, separate um, sort of life views, so to speak. <laughs> um, and so I, I very much feel strongly about sharing personal stories via the podcast because that to me is a way that maybe hopefully someone can hear it and feel less alone if they're experiencing similar problems or concerns or questions or triumphs and then kind of feel connected to people that way. And that's, like I said before, it's really my goal is to make women feel less alone during this process and really all parents. But I feel very strongly about not sharing my children on social media. So it might be subtle if you don't kind of look for it. But if you look at our social media, you'll see that any picture that involves my children, their face is never shown. Um, <clears throat> whereas every, every picture that involves an actual baby face, that's either pictures we've gotten sent to us by other people or Joanna's children. They're, they're, they're really our podcast models more so than my children because I, I feel a little bit more strongly about letting my kids grow up and make their decisions for themselves about social media, but um, <clears throat> which may be a little idealistic as, as time passes. But 
So that's how I've navigated this is my own experiences and my own feelings and my own worries, which does involve my family. And I do realize I'm blurring some lines there that I feel much more comfortable than like physical media of my family. I have to say that I feel so fortunate to be doing this with Diana because I feel in a way that when we're sharing personal stories, we're sharing them with each other. And I'm using her as a barometer, too, of, well, you know, is this oversharing for the public or is this just the right amount of sharing? And so I feel so, so lucky to have her in the podcast because I feel like she gives me a sense of, okay, well, you know, maybe you don't want to go that far or, you know, maybe we want to, um, you know, focus more on this part of the story than than this other part of the story so we do talk about that too sort of behind the scenes and it's interesting because Diana I feel posts a lot more on her personal accounts about her life and her viewpoints and I'm less active on my personal accounts and what I've found through the baby doctor mama's account is that I can use that as sort of a public facing account and that the reason why we call it baby doctor mama's and not, you know, just the Diana and Joanna show is that my hope in creating it, too, is that, you know, you know, as you create something, you want it to sort of have a life of its own and be something that can stand alone. And so I sort of envision that as we, you know, maybe start to develop our careers in different ways, that is something we could pass on to other neonatologists and mothers who might be interested in carrying it onward. Um, you know, if it's something that eventually we wind up growing away from, you know, as time goes on, because we haven't really talked about how long we'll do it and we're putting out a lot of content. But I think I think the content shelf life is probably about, you know, 18 months or so, you know, then you'd have to revisit topics as new research comes out. Um, so, you know, my hope is that it, it could sort of take on a life of its own. And even if maybe we didn't want to do the podcasting, that we could convert it to, um, a social media endeavor in and of itself. So these are things that Diana and I have talked about. Uh, and I and I and I like having a more professional facing account than just have it be about me. And it's interesting for me, though, because I think there are some really great doctors who use their own personal lives as a platform for education. And we do that somewhat. But I think we also have the ability or the flexibility to have the account fall into other people's hands as well, if that's something that we wanted to do in the future. And I think the other interesting thing about the, being a presence on the internet is the internet now is also a source of a lot of fake information, false information for um, all groups, but particularly for parents. And um, yeah. I think we're all fam familiar with this as pediatricians. So I'm curious, um, kind of how you navigate interactions with um, your audience on the internet and whether you've gotten feedback that um, you'd be willing to share from listeners that has changed your approach to the podcast. Um, when we were first starting this, we were so nervous about negative comments and negative feedback. Um, and I still am nervous about that to a certain extent. Um, but I think what's been great about doing it is starting to have this initial interface with the public is that actually I think on the whole people are pretty positive and supportive when you're trying when you're being true to yourself and you're trying to make something authentic um, so I, I think I've been pleasantly surprised um, about not having a lot of negativity 
And I do think, I mean, we have over a thousand followers on Instagram. We have a growing Twitter account um, and we have some interaction on Facebook, but I would say Instagram is where we sort of focus the posts. Um, and so I think we still have a, a smaller following. And so probably we have people that are selecting in and not necessarily um, coming after us <laughs> a lot for the content. Um which is nice because I think we have a really nice and supportive group that understands that we're trying to be supportive and genuine. And so I've really enjoyed that. And, you know, there have been times that we've gotten criticism or negative feedback. Um, but I think, again, because we're really working from a, a genuine place, because there's been less negative comments, you know, when when they do come or when, you know, we take a minute to decide, you know, is this constructive um, or is this just maybe mean? <laughs> um, <laughs> so you, you have to take a beat and think about that. And when it's constructive, what's really nice is that it, it can lead to really great conversations about the content and how it's presented and how we can change it for the future or for another episode. You know, even though Joanna manages the social media almost exclusively, you know, whenever whenever we have questions or comments come up that seem like people are either offended or concerned or questioning or doubting, one thing that she's really good at doing, Joanna's really good at doing, is she will screenshot or just tell me to reference it so that we can brainstorm together how best to approach a particular comment that seemed to be getting at the root of an issue that maybe seems important to address. Um, and so then we, we talk about how to tackle it together because I do think that what I've seen is that sometimes questioning comments or negative or critical comments do come from a place of someone feeling like the evidence or their opinion is valid for for some reason that is that is that makes a lot of sense why they would have. And so I think that a lot of these experiences can be really learning opportunities, not only for the poster, but also for people who end up reading these comments and these threads and they could learn something from it. Um, and so I think we try to be really thoughtful about that. But that being said, I think the other thing that I realize is that we are full-time moms <laughs> who have jobs outside of this. And so at the end of the day, there's some, you, you do have to be selective about how you pick and choose sort of which comments to turn into educational ventures versus which things to let go. Because there are some, there are some quote-unquote battles or quote-unquote conversations that you're just not going to win with people with different opinions no matter how much evidence or numbers or data you throw at them. And so I think it's been a learning experience as to how to navigate that. But for the most part, like Joanna said, we haven't, we're, we're probably just a little too small to have really negativity show up on our, on our social media. And everything has thus far felt like we could turn into a learning experience for everyone who's following. And I want to give Diana's, um, one of her, her um, father-in-law some credit um, his name is Wendell. He's a, he's a psychologist. And I remember when I was, um, this is how close Diana and I are that I'm like at her in-laws house staying there, um, <laughs> in DC. And, uh, and, and a negative comment came up on something that I had wrote and I was, I was pretty upset about the comment. And Wendell gave me a piece of advice, which I still use. And he said, well, you know, it's okay to be upset and you have to experience your emotion. Um, but you, you know, you have to be thoughtful about what you're putting out into the world. And his first step was always to say, take the comment and, you know, find some common ground within the comment. Cause they're commenting on something that you posted that 
you know, there's got to be something that you could pull out that you could say, oh, I see why you feel that way or how you feel that way. And he said, start from there and validate their feelings, but then also make your educational point after that. Because, you know, you can disagree, but you don't have to disagree in a combative way. You can say, hey, like, I see where you're coming from and I see what you're saying, but this is the point that I'm trying to get across that's evidence-based and that, you know, I feel strongly about as a physician and an educator. So I'm going to make that point after validating how you feel. Um, so that's really allowed me to kind of take a step back from just my emotions um, when I'm dealing with comments that, you know, that I want to address and educational points that I want to make. Um, and I think that it's important for physicians and probably all healthcare workers to realize that I don't, I, you know, the internet's not going away, media is not going away, and it's going to be, not everybody's going to agree with the things you say, even if they are rooted in science. And so how do you still talk to people who have differing views than you. And I think Wendell really helped me frame that. I, um, I mean, I think the other interesting thing is, um, you know, I write for, like I do some freelance writing for newspapers and it's intended for a lay audience. And sometimes there's like this um, kind of feeling of conflict of like, I think I know how this is going to be taken by a lay audience, but I'm not sure how this will be taken by my colleagues. And I don't know if you've ever um, felt that way when creating the podcast, but I was curious, like, if you ever um, have had your colleagues give you feedback or how have you navigated um, being the professional neonatologist and also um, knowing that your um, colleagues or patients might uh, be listening to your podcast as well. That's a great question. Yeah. And, and actually a lot of our colleagues have been really supportive. So, um, we, we definitely know that people are listening and I I will say, you know, the first thing that I'll say is that one of the balances we try to strike on the podcast is to tell parents, listeners, caregivers, listen, here are the recommendations for whatever topic we're talking about today, this is why they exist, whether they are rooted in evidence or not, they're rooted in expert opinion. This is what we recommend as pediatricians. But then we always try to balance it with, okay, but I'm a mom and I completely understand how tempting it is, for instance, to want to nurse in bed and and keep your baby in bed. But these are the recommendations and the reasons why sleeping in bed with your newborn can be really dangerous, but I get it. And this is, this has been my experiences and these have been my struggles. And I understand why you would, why you might struggle with this. And so we, knowing that, you know, like when we recorded our safe sleep episode and we talked about like the time I, I, for instance, talked about the times that I brought my, my infant into the bed and realized like, I, you know, that was really stressful for me. But I realized in saying that at the time that like there's going to be a colleague maybe who's like, she shouldn't have said that. That's a public facing podcast. She should have never said that she did that herself because that's maybe a bad example. But I remember feeling so strongly that part of what I'm trying to accomplish with this podcast is to meet parents and women where they are and be really realistic about how to incorporate guidelines into their life and how we can continuously try to do better and try to follow recommendations for our children, but how how even us as pediatricians and neonatologists can struggle with these issues at the same time. I feel like to a certain extent, it's almost easier to respond to colleagues because we've had a similar training and they've also read the evidence. And so I almost welcome their 
commentary and feedback in a scientific way and in an intellectual way. I do find it a little harder, and Diana can speak to this too because she does a lot of public health messaging to reach uh, to to reach people who are outside of healthcare. Um, because you know when they provide commentary, it's it's less rooted in you know I've done all this study and I've read these papers and I I want you to comment on this facet of it. It's more trying to come up with general messaging that everyone can follow and that will help keep their babies safe and and be good information for them. And I. I find that to be a little bit more challenging, um, but that's what sort of I like about the podcast is that we're taking on that challenge to try to balance these public health messages with realities of what mothers are facing um, and being mothers ourselves. And a lot of people who produce creative work um, in medicine have expressed to me that sometimes they feel like they're living like two lives and a lot of them did have <laughs> moments where they um you know in undergrad or in med school really thought about not doing medicine and I was wondering if um in your career path like what drew you to medicine initially and was there ever a moment where you felt like maybe it wasn't the field for you and then um how did you handle that and then how did you end up in neonatology in particular well, we have very different responses to that question. <laughs> I will say that I I do feel like I wear many different hats and like I'm just constantly shifting my persona through the day because I am like on the one hand, I'm a neonatologist and I love the work that I do in the ICU. And then I'm also a health equity scientist and I study health disparities among minority women and I really love that topic and doing that writing, but I also consider myself a child advocate, like a child health advocate. And so I love doing advocacy work, which is different than research. Um, and then now I'm a medical podcaster, which is just has incorporates um, elements of research and education and advocacy, but is its own thing. And so I feel like I'm just constantly switching back and forth between my eight different personas. Um, but medicine and taking care of babies has always been my North Star. I realized that I wanted to be a doctor from a very early age and I have not really ever questioned it. And I think if everything else fell away, I'd be fine so long as somebody would let me take care of babies. Um, and so to me, that's really the, the underlying driver for everything that I do is I hope this works out. This has been really cool. This is really fun. I find this really valuable. But at the end of the day, if I had to pick one, I would continuously take care of babies. However, my counterpart. <laughs> I There's so many things I love about medicine. I love the training, the intellectual rigor. I love interfacing with my colleagues and problem solving. And I think um, I'll... There are facets within the clinical practice of medicine that are creative in and of themselves. I envy Diana a little bit because I always thought maybe I would want to go into research and now I've been in more of a clinical path because I think there's a certain creativity to research and I and and I like wearing different hats and what I've found in doing more clinical work is I do need some other outlet. <laughs> Um, besides just the patient care, uh, to be able to feel like I'm having a fulfilling career. And to be honest, I use the podcast to a certain extent, but I, I really worry that the podcast is not valued within academia. And I don't, you know, since I put so much time and energy into it, um, 
I don't know where my career path is going to take me. And that gives me moments of sort of stress and anxiety because up until this point in medicine, you know, I, I'm sort of a relatively new attending still. I'm, I'm entering my, um, I'm sort of finishing out my third year of practice. Um, and I've been having kids while I've been in attending. So that's, and I, I very much value my family time. So I've been taking time and space for my children because they're only babies once. Um, and, and so it's really, you know, because this is what I'm passionate about and putting my time and energy into it's, I hear what you're saying, Vidya, and what other people have probably said to you about, well, how do I, if I know this is what I'm passionate about, how do I incorporate it more into my professional life? Because I think it's so valuable to be able to create and to not, you know, I think so much in academia, we think of research as being, you know, what we should be doing outside of the clinical work, but shouldn't, you know, shouldn't we be doing more media and education work too? I think the COVID-19 pandemic has brought a lot of that to light because, you know, the news sources are so quick and facile about putting out headlines and stories. Um, and I think there, I've watched some doctors be really good about being on top of that and having, you know, the voices of physicians really be heard. And I've also watched as, um, you know, voices of physicians haven't been as prominent where healthcare workers haven't been as prominent and so it raises all these questions and interesting things um, and I think the, th the part that's hard is that when you're doing a non-traditional path um, there is no path right um, so you're kind of making it as you go and so what I've been sort of using as my quote north star is this idea that I should be doing what I'm passionate about and what I think I'm pretty good at and using that and what fulfills me and sort of using that to guide where I'm going and, and not be so concerned about where I'm going to end up, but sort of try to enjoy the journey and um, make sure that I'm, I'm feeling what I'm passionate about. Yeah. And I, I yeah. think that's great and very common amongst people I've interviewed and met with through doctors who create is like, it's, it's kind of about the path and, um, figuring out where it leads you. Um, but it is hard when traditionally medicine is this very um, kind of like ladder approach of reaching the next rung in the hierarchy or like the next stage in your training. And it's so it's hard to do something that doesn't fit in this like predefined path, um, but also more exciting. Diana, I wanted to ask you about your research because um, I read a little bit about it, but I would love if you could kind of share a bit about your research field and like it sounds very creative and, and unique and important in terms of addressing health equity in neonatology in a way that um, I haven't seen most researchers do. So I'd love if you could kind of talk a little bit about that as well you know I think it's funny and in, in up until residency if you'd asked me oh one day you're going to be a researcher uh, a doctor who does a lot of research a clinician scientist I would have laughed in your face um, I did not enjoy research back then didn't think I enjoyed research didn't think I would ever choose to do it and then during my neonatal fellowship I fell into a niche I just I remember this point at which I started re reading papers about birth outcome disparities. So, you know, things like rates of preterm birth and low birth weight and infant mortality among racial ethnic minority women. And 
health outcomes among immigrant women and specifically Hispanic immigrant women and why are they potentially better than we expect them to but are there disparities within Hispanic women and I just remember devouring paper after paper about this topic and being like this this I could read and write about for the rest of my life like I every time I would get an alert about you know from a citation manager like based on your writing it sounds like you might be interested in this paper I'd be like yes you're right Mendeley I am and I would like stop and read (laughs) I would stop and read it and I think when that happened to me I realized like oh I guess I am interested in research I just hadn't found my my space yet Um, and I think what helps me want to pick this path is that for me the research that I'm doing and the research that I like to read about it informs issues that I feel very strongly about advocating for and I've always been someone who wants to base my advocacy whether it's on an individual or or on a population level on facts and evidence and so to me you know, health advocacy, population health advocacy should be grounded in evidence. And you like to use the phrase evidence-based advocacy um, or research-informed advocacy. And that to me is the career that I'm trying to create is to conduct the research that can then inform advocacy that improves people's lives and that achieves or helps us move us forward as a society towards attaining health equity for everyone. But it's been a very interesting struggle to to try to figure that out. Like, how do you wear the hat of a researcher and the hat of an advocate? And how do those two things talk to each other um, in a way that doesn't compromise the science, but also doesn't not to the detriment of the advocacy? And that's really sort of the path that I'm that I'm on and that I'm still learning about. But yeah, so that's that's sort of what guides me. And I and I study issues of health equity in the perinatal period. So I look at you know, drivers of health disparity among pregnant women and then what happens to their babies after birth and how can we do better by women who experience these disparities, which tend to, you know, the, the, the populations that I am particularly interested in are racial ethnic minority women. So how can we really address and combat the determinants of poor outcomes for, you know, black and brown women in this country and then how can we set their babies up for success as much as possible and try to break down the barriers to infant health outcomes and the risk factors for mortality and poor outcomes in the first year of a baby's life, again, for brown and black babies in this country. So my focus is very much on minority women and babies in the United States. And then in recent years, I've become more and more interested in immigration policy as a social determinant of health, a sort of political determinant of health, so to speak and how that really plays into the lives and very, very concretely affects both health behaviors, health decisions, healthcare access, and ultimately health outcomes for immigrant Hispanic women in this country. And, um, and so that's really the research career I'm trying to build. And Diana's is a career to watch because she's threading the needle of, you know, research and public policy and advocacy and and how quickly you can take research and develop policy and i think that how she's doing that and how researchers like her are doing that is going to be so interesting to see with the culture that we have right now of immediate information 
So how do you do rigorous research and communicate it efficiently, have the time to do the research and also get it out there? I don't know. I think, Diana, what you're doing is incredible. One of the things that's great about it, too, is that it is sort of research that can inform your both your clinical practice, but also like inform some of the messaging through the podcast that's going um, yes. to a wide audience as well. And a lot of the criticism of popular media on parenting is that it doesn't address a lot of those issues. So I think it's great that you have this background um, to inform that. Um, so my last question is, um, what advice would you have for people like me, medical trainees, or even, you know, attending physicians who are interested at this point in their careers in launching something creative along with their clinical or research work? I think my most salient piece of advice would be to recognize yourself as an individual, to know that, you know, there's a place for big academic institutions, but your career in medicine when you leave training can take you in a lot of different directions and you want to make sure that you stay true to yourself and that you're doing things that sort of, that fuel you within medicine um, and to not feel like you're a cog in the wheel but to feel like you have options and opportunities and that you have value as an individual um, no matter where your career path takes you. I, I love that. I, I will add to that that um doing something creative like this is uh, I don't like the analogy of a double-edged sword but I will say that it is equal parts rewarding and lots of work so going into it with open eyes is I think really important and, and so I think people should follow their passion and do what fuels them at any stage of their career but do it with the understanding that it is that it can take a lot of time and energy to create something from nothing and to make sure that 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 adventure and that endeavor that they want to do is something that is going to fulfill them and fuel their engine versus just deplete their engine so that's important um but at the same time i feel like it can it, it can fuel your engine like there are so many times when i'm having a terrible week both from a research and clinical perspective and I'm like, man, I have to record the podcast. I like have so many things to do. And then I go over to Joanna's house and we record the podcast and I leave feeling re-energized about why I'm a doctor and what my role in society is. And it refuels my engine. And so like to me, that's what's made this so worthwhile is that it, it can be it can be work, but it can also be so re-energizing and renewing for me and my job and my and my life path. And I think that if you can find something like that, then it's worth whatever work you want to throw at, at it because that's how you keep yourself from burning out. I love that. And I um, completely agree. Um, I want to thank you both, Joanna and Diana, for being on this podcast and uh, for lending your advice and your experience to our listeners. Uh, do you have anything else you wanted to add? No, thank you so much for having us. Uh, and interviewing us and giving us a platform. We love talking about what we do. Yes, thank you. This is such a joy. And you are such a great example of doing things outside of, you know, what we consider academic medicine and clinical work. So thank you for giving us this opportunity to and creating this space for healthcare professionals. And that's all we got for this episode of Doctors Who Create. Hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe tell a friend, leave a review. We would love to hear from you.
And if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can email us at doctorswhocreate at gmail.com. Or tweet us at doctorscreate. Or check out our website, doctorswhocreate.com, to listen to our podcast episodes and also to check out other articles and profiles of physicians who are creative. Intro music brought to you by the band Night Float.